Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I am really excited to tell you I have a couple comments. And so uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to read them. They're fun. Anyway, the first one, I don't know what state it's from, but I know it's from here in the United States. It says, um, they're referring to an article I just had posted on uh, the trumpet.com on meth uh, amphetamines, and they says, thank you for this very informative article. And, by the way, I'm enjoying you and Mr. Turgeon on just the best literature. So, so we're famous. <laughs> they're really enjoying us. So, uh, so that's good. Uh, I think we ought to get t-shirts. Moby Dick T-shirts. We're the we're the new Moby Dick Club. That's so. actually a really exciting idea. <laughs> yeah, okay. I've never had a literature shirt before, so oh, that, well. would, that would be a first for me. Yeah, we need to get them. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here's another one. It says, "Dear Mr. Leap, hello again. I would like to uh, be in the the, the new club. Uh, I don't want to necessarily talk about that today, but I'm been appointed director of a walking and running club. He says, uh, "I hope I can be in it. The Moby Dick story is fun." Thanks for the literature show. Love to hear you and uh, Mr. Turgeon and your wife, too. So so uh, she won't be disappointed now because they'd like to hear my wife as well. All right. So uh, uh, those are the comments I have today. So I'm really excited that people like Moby Dick. Anyway, on our last podcast, Grant and uh, I finished the program with a discussion of Father Mapple's sermon on the sin and repentance of the prophet Jonah. And uh, that is my, my favorite chapter in, the, in this book. There's, there's other ones as well, but I'd have to say that is my, my favorite. Now, our discussion of this chapter, which is chapter 9, only scratched the surface, surface excuse me, only scratched the surface of the depth of the thought that Melville put into this chapter, and, and he really did spend a lot of time with it. So just be sure to read and even meditate on the entire chapter, and you're going to get a lot more out of it. Now, if you're just turning into JBL, and uh, uh, we are on Melville's Moby Dick, I just need to tell you about how we have organized our discussion, and since this book is 135 chapters, it would just be impossible for us to cover the entire book within a JBL series. So what I've done is I've abridged our reading, not the book, I've abridged, abridged our reading to just 47 key chapters. And many of these chapters are really as small as about five pages. So I have listed the chapter numbers for you on the JBL's Twitter and Facebook pages. And if you're not familiar with those pages, uh, I will provide the address at the end of today's podcast. So, for today's podcast, Grant and I want to begin our discussion with chapters 14 and 16. So, welcome back, Grant. Thank you very much. So, this chapter 14, <clears throat> I think, is interesting. And, and, and essentially, what Melville is doing is uh, he's providing some historical background on America's greatness. That's what, the way I feel about it. And uh, in Melville's lifetime, America had... Uh, built up and controlled the whaling industry worldwide. And um, 
that that industry produced incredible wealth for America. Now, the the thing that's really going on in this chapter, it's it's kind of funny, is the Nantucketers are really jealous of the people in New Bedford, and that's still still alive today. <laughs> is, is it really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the 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 thing is. It, the oil industry did begin on Nantucket Island. That's just, there's no doubt about it. And so we'll talk about this a little bit when we get into the chapter. But New Bedford's wealth and their heyday surpassed anything Nantucket did. And so so it, it was so great that, uh, let's say at the time of Melville, there would have been like 739 ships worldwide. 400 of them. 400 of those ships came from New Bedford. Wow. Yeah, so so that's a lot of ships, and the wealth was incredible. But unfortunately, uh, it was the American Civil War, and then it was the Industrial Revolution that brought America's wealth industry to its end. And uh, essentially, the young men of America went to the factories, not to the watery world. <laughs> Right. They were driven there by necessity. Right. They probably would have preferred to keep whaling if, right. they, if they had more of a choice. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So so anyway, there, there is some really funny things that he's, he's talking about here. He said, um, nothing more happened on the passage worthy the mentioning. So after a fine run, we safely arrived in Nantucket. So the, the whole idea in the whaling industry at that time, you had to leave from Nantucket. Or you weren't really on a whale ship. And so so that's what he's talking about there. He says, Nantucket, take out your map and look at it. See what a real corner of the world it occupies. How it stands there, way offshore, more lonely than the Eddystone Lighthouse. Now, in, in some ways, that is really sarcastic. Because if you ever get out a map and you look at Nantucket Island, it's like an elbow out there. It's just, <laughs> it's just like a big elbow in the sea. Now... Uh, I'm sure if you go back into the you know early 1800s, the, even the geography would have been somewhat different. So, so eventually, the reason why the welding industry had to leave Nantucket is because the sand kept building up, and they couldn't get the big ships in the harbor. So they could get them in New Bedford. So, so, uh, but but he said if you look at it, it's a mere hillock. It's an elbow of sand. It's all beach without a background. Now that's hilarious. <laughs> And so, so uh, he said, there is more sand there than you would use in 20 years as a substitute for blotting paper. He says, some games and whites will tell you that they have to plant weeds there. They don't grow naturally. <laughs> <laughs> they import Canada thistles uh, that they have to send beyond seas for a spile to stop a leak in an oil cask. So, so it goes on to say that the pieces of wood in Nantucket are carried about like bits of the true cross in Rome. So, so there, what happened is there was a lot of tr trees on Nantucket at one time, but the millionaires that gained so much money from the oil industry, they started tearing the forest down to build their mansions. And so it's like what Rome did to Israel. You know, they just, when they were you know, you know, doing all of their sieges and all that, they cut down all the trees, so there's not many trees in Israel today. So wow. So there's not many trees uh, on Nantucket Island, um, but he he makes uh, he makes more cuts that at the bottom of the first paragraph there. Well, uh, maybe I just mentioned the Eddystone Lighthouse. Uh, it, it does 
stand out there alone. And he compares it to the Eddystone Lighthouse, which is just off the coast of England. And it's on a, a, you know, a, a whole segue of rocks that you can't see when the water's you know, waving. And so they, they keep building this lighthouse. They've done it for centuries. They just keep rebuilding it because if you run into it, you're going to wreck your ship. Mm. And so, so it, yeah, it's, it's just right off the coast of, of England there. So, so, I mean, essentially Melville knows what he's doing. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he's, he's really studied a lot and probably even was there. Um, he goes on and talks a little bit about the the, the uh, island was settled about uh, by the Indians, and then there's this legend of uh, you know this this uh, huge bird. I guess it was a uh, I don't know. It says an eagle swooped down, kicked, uh, picked up this little infant, took them out, dropped them off, and you know actually let them die then on Nantucket Island and they found the the uh, little Indian skeleton in an ivory casket so that's definitely totally legend <laughs> so so but anyway um, the, 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 the thing is the Nantucketers and if you ever have a chance all you readers out there if you ever have the chance to see the movie in the heart of the sea I mean that's the story about the Essex and uh Melville did base this book on the history of the Essex. But that gives you a good idea of what Nantucket would have looked like. And then and then uh you can also see that Nantucketers were pretty pretty much uh arrogant about being a Nantucketer. And that that if you weren't from Nantucket you were nothing. And if you weren't from Nantucket it's almost like you couldn't even run a whale ship. You had to have the Nantucket name. And uh and uh so since we talked about New Bedford, I thought we'd talk a little bit about Nantucket today. So uh, uh, anyway, this, this, this here is, uh, I'll just read a little quote here. It says, the Nantucketer, he alone resides and rests on the sea. He alone, in Bible language, goes down to it and, and uh, down to it in ships, to and fro, plowing as it is his own special plantation. There is his home. There lies his business, which a Noah flood would not interrupt though it overwhelmed all millions, all the millions in China. <laughs> so look how proud they are of Nantucket. It's like the flood wouldn't even bury it. And so uh, he says, He lives on the sea as a prairie cocks in the prairie. He hides among the waves. He climbs them as chamois hunters climb the Alps. For years he knows not the land, so that when he comes to it at last, it smells like another world, more strange than the moon would to an earthman. <laughs> and so, so anyway... Uh, he goes on then at the very end he says uh, the Nantucker out of sight of land furls his sails lays him to rest while under his pillow rushes herds of walruses and whales so that they're on a ship they're sleeping on a ship and right below them in the ocean are all those things all right well it really shows the value of brand and tradition when Ishmael can insult Nantucket basically being buried by the sand like like he does and he talks about how New Bedford is so rich and it's a superior town at, at, yeah. at this point yeah. and yet he still wants to sail out from Nantucket that yeah. like you said that is the name that everyone recognizes and that's what makes any voyage legitimate so even if Nantucket at this time is not as great as it once was that's still the place to be yeah I think if you looked at it from a, uh, let's say, a summer vacation spot, 
Nantucket is pretty, still mm. a pretty hot place. Oh yeah, <laughs> and there's still tons of millionaires on it. <laughs> oh yeah, it's probably pretty awesome to be. It's just funny the way he describes it. How oh, just yeah. all you see is sand and like yeah. a, a full day's journey. If you see three three blades of grass, then you're walking through a prairie. A prairie somehow. <laughs> and I, I love the the whole point of they had to wear sand shoes instead of snowshoes, <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't sink in the sand. Yeah. So. And there, there were some really great people because, I mean, it describes it as if they own two-thirds of the world because they control all the bodies of water. It's like uh, an emperor letting other people pass through his land. It's not their land, but he lets them go through. So the Nantucketers own the sea, and they just let other ships go through. Right. It, it's, it really does show, of course, um, you know, I, I think a lot of our listeners know that you know what we teach here at the college and also you know that the philadelphia church is heavily involved but if you look at the united states and britain in prophecy i mean nantucket helped put us on the map helped made us a superpower we were already controlling the seas then and uh it's just sad what's happening now because we're certainly losing our superpower status and so that's one thing about i think melville melville's moby dick is it it is such a well written book that you can you can find things in the book that pertain to today and you know so Nantucket lost its glory New Bedford took over while the United States is losing its glory and you know we've lost our sea gates you know it's it's really really crazy what's happening all right let's go on to chapter sixteen and uh, if you feel like you have a real real good grasp of this chapter I'll let you start. There's just, I think the opening is just absolutely hilarious. <laughs> well, we learn about Queequeg's idol, and his name is Yojo. I don't think that's I'd, right. I don't think I'd seen his name earlier, at least while reading this. So we learn a little bit more about his idol, and uh, Ishmael learns to accept that idol a little <laughs> bit more than he had before because Ishmael is Presbyterian and Queequeg is a pagan. But they're such close friends that they can pretty much overlook any of each other's <laughs> differences, yeah. which is pretty special in some ways. But at the same time, obviously, compromise is not a good thing. Right. We're not going to cover the chapter, but eventually uh, Ishmael has a little ceremony with with Yojo, too. He <laughs> says, hey, if we love each other, why can't you know, I'd expect him to become a Presbyterian? Why can't he expect me to become a pagan? <laughs> So so they take a little too extreme. Yeah, and so uh, he has to leave Queequeg behind because Yojo the idol decided for Queequeg that Ishmael would have to pick the ship that they sail out on. So Queequeg stays in their room, and it looks like he's fasting, except he's still smoking the pipe. But it, right. other than that, he's fasting, and then Ishmael goes out and he's checking out these ships and trying to find the best one. Yeah, so that's if, really what the rest of the chapter is about. Right. If it was Queequeg today, he'd be smoking more than tobacco. Right. <laughs> he'd be having his, his uh, spiritual well, awakening. One yeah. of the later chapters described someone else smoking and said it was almost like disinfectant from cholera and all these <laughs> other diseases that were spreading so quickly. It was almost like smoking tobacco kind of had health benefits, at least from Ishmael's perspective. Right. I, I don't know if that's true, but... Yeah, I don't know it e I don't know either, but I have a feeling that some of them thought it was medicinal. 
Yeah. You know, because it was like an herb to them. It's probably better than one, one a lot thing. Of stuff now. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I want to say here is that that uh, even though Ishmael submits to the idea that Yojo, who <laughs> is not saying anything to Kwekwe, he submits to it. But but if you notice the very last paragraph on that page, it says now. This plan of Queequegs, or rather Yojos, <laughs> touching the selection of our craft, I did not like that plan at all. I had not a little relied on Queequegs' sagacity or sagacity to point out that the whale are best fitted to carry us and our fortunes securely. He'd never been on a whale ship before anyway. So, so Queequeg had, by the way, right. And so, so he just he just saying this is really Queequeg's idea. It really wasn't Yojo. Well, yes, Queequeg the Wise had apparently slain many whales. He would know. <laughs> he would have known much better than Ishmael which ship to go on and which captain to obey. Who who would be the best captain? And yet, Ishmael, the total rookie, had to figure this out. Yeah, yeah. It's so. It's just so funny. Anyway, so what he does, he, he leaves uh, Queequeg shut up with Yojo in our little bedroom, and it's either like for Lent or Ramadan or some day of fasting or humiliation. And then he goes on to say, I applied myself to it several times. I could never master his liturgies in 39 articles. <laughs> and so so what, what Melville's referring to there is the Church of England's 39 articles for being a good Christian. And so, so there he's picking on the Christian religion as well. So, uh, so anyway, he goes, and he finds three ships, and he says, uh, he says, I learned there were three ships up for three years' voyages, the Devil Dam, the Titbit, and the Pequod. Now, he's just going, now this is, remember now, this is Ishmael, who has, knows nothing about whaling. He's going by the names, and he says, the Devil Dam, or means, it really means the devil's wife. It's, it should be like Devil Dame. Oh. And then the titbit, I really don't know what that means. Uh, everything I looked up online said it's like a snack. Tidbit, oh. you know, right. you have tidbits, you want to have tidbits for it. So uh, I think there's something more nefarious there, but I'm not going to bring it out on the radio. <laughs> All right. And then there's the Pequod. And uh, uh, why, does, why does Ishmael pick the Pequod? And it's because... It's the name of a, a celebrated tribe in Massachusetts the, the, of Indians, but they were now extinct. And so he says, well, that's it. That's the ship. That's the ship we need to be on. You know? so, so that's a little bit of Melville, I think, also. You know, he, he felt that, remember, he wrote this right before this time of the Civil War. And uh, I think he was very much, uh, you know, against, you know, racism. And so that's why he's saying, oh, let's pick the Pequod, you know, because we're going to support our extinct Indians. Yes, Ishmael seems like he is very open-minded to any people, no matter what they look like or what their beliefs are. Right. I mean, he just, he takes to a total cannibal pagan more than he's ever befriended a Christian. Yeah. And he sees he sees there is a simplicity in Queequeg who pretty much immediately said that they the two of them were married like which means they were friends for life good friends for life based yeah. on like a day or two of knowing each other that's what Queequeg said to Ishmael right right and so uh you know better to 
better to sleep with a cannibal than a drunken Christian. That's what he said. Yeah, <laughs> that's, what he, that's what he said. So there's a lot. There's a lot in this chapter um, that he is picking on. Uh, he, he talks about the, uh, the the beauty of the craft, and he, he goes on to say it was a rare, rare old uh, old craft. She was a ship of the old school, rather small, if anything, with an old-fashioned claw-footed look about her. Long-seasoned, weather-stained in the typhoons and calms of four oceans. Her old hull's complexion was darkened like a French grenadier's who has a, a, a like uh, fought in Egypt and Siberia. So it's, it's almost like this is a war vessel. This is a vessel that goes to war against whales. And so uh, he talks about... Um, uh, her uh, her mast cut somewhere on the coast of Japan, where her where her original ones were lost overboard in a gale. Her mast stood stiffly up like the spines of the three old kings of Cologne, and uh, you know so so that's the magi that supposedly gave their gifts to Christ, and they're buried in Cologne. Now, how did they get to Cologne? That's wow. the big question. So so uh, I don't know if he's picking on it or if he's just. Uh, has seen, I guess, the mausoleum they have for these. I mean, they have this mausoleum in Cologne for the three kings. Uh, he says, uh, Her ancient decks were worn and wrinkled like the pilgrim worship flagstone in Canterbury Cathedral where Beckett bled. And that was Thomas a, a Beckett. That, uh, he was Archbishop of Canterbury, but he disagreed with Henry II. Henry II said it was the king's right to rule England, and Beckett said, no, the church is going to rule. So he cut Beckett's head off. Wow. You know, so so there's the the whole thing with with uh, I, I'm not sure if um, Henry came out of the line of David or not, but but uh, uh, Henry was certainly not going to give up the throne of the Catholic Church. Look at all these references. He he had to have known so much about, like you said, the Bible and about uh, yeah. secular history too, about kingly lines. I mean, yeah. he's he's throwing in all these references and relating them to the story he's currently telling. It's just Yes. Really impressive. It it really is. There's another Thorkill Hake that was uh, he he's from uh, uh, Nordic. He was a Nordic adventurer, and uh, what he did even in his own house, he had his adventures carved in wood, and it was like a museum. And he said that's what the ship was like. But uh, um, he goes on to say that she was a thing of trophies. This is on the next page over, and he calls her a cannibal of craft tricking herself forth in the chase bones of her enemies. So so not only did she have ivory and the best wood, she had a lot of well parts. Wow. <laughs> so so you know, there was well ivory on the ship. There was, you know, they were using shark uh, the well teeth for some things. So so it's like she could eat up the whales, like she was a cannibal. <laughs> the <laughs> so, intimidation factor, the whales yeah. recognize themselves in the ship. Yeah. The, uh, he talks about the helmsman who steered the tiller and the tempest felt like a tartar, and that's like Genghis Khan, <laughs> Genghis Khan and his people. And so, so uh, he's really, really um, kind of painting the ship to be be really cool. And remember now, this is Ish- Ishmael who has never <laughs> he's never been whaling, but he just likes the ship because of the way it looks. All right. So, so I, I think the f- the the really funny thing. And uh, I, I think we, we I hope we have time to do this. We might have to shorten something else. But the, for all you readers out there, and for for uh, even for Grant and I here, I think that the most important part of this is meeting 
um, Peleg and Bildad. These are the former, at least Peleg was a former chief mate on the ship, and he retired, and then he bought, he bought into it, and then same with Bildad. So, so just, just to read about them and their Quakers, they're not only Quaker Quakers, they're Nantucket Quakers. <laughs> you know? So, so the the whole thing that what what it's really giving you is the history is that the Quaker religion actually, the the members of the Quaker religion actually got the welding industry started, and they made millions. They liked their money. <laughs> right. Yeah, and and these two are so different from each other, even though they're both of the same religion. Like Peleg is a bit of a joker. But he also wisecracker. Yes, <laughs> he definitely is, and he he keeps on challenging Ishmael and insulting his lack of whaling experience. And Ishmael points out that he's been on other ships before, so what's the difference almost? And and he says, "Don't even mention that to me. That's don't. nothing compared to whaling. You have no idea what you're talking about." <laughs> don't mention the marchants to me. <laughs> <laughs> so so Peleg is is all, all personality, and then he leads. Uh, Ishmael below deck, and then that's where he sees Bildad, who is is the most strict, pious man anyone's ever seen. He he even sits straight up. He's got his legs properly crossed, like there's not an extra ounce of fat anywhere on his body. <laughs> he's reading the scriptures out loud and 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 muttering to himself, and he he just seems like he's austere and and just completely unaffected by anyone around him. Yeah, I think he's stinkingly self-righteous oh yes <laughs> because I, th- I think the funniest line is when Peleg says to him he says you've been reading those scriptures for 30 years how far have you got <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like he's never gotten through the whole book yet <laughs> yeah yes. how far have you got and so so but they obviously know each other really really well and uh, uh, but but I think that that uh, the one of the funniest things is when uh Maybe the two things that Peleg does is he asks, he asks Ishmael why he wants to, you know, ship, and he says, "Why?" Well, he said, "Have you ever been on a well ship?" He says, "No, I just want to see what it's like." And he says, "Well, if you want to see what it's like, go look at Captain Ahab." Uh-huh. <laughs> and he says, "Ahab, aren't you the captain of the ship?" He says, "No, Ahab is the captain of the ship, and he has only one leg left." Right. You know? <laughs> and then he says. And so you want to see the world? And he says, I can show you the world. Just go out to the end of the ship and look out at the ocean. <laughs> and, and, and Ishmael does say, wow, that looks really kind of boring out there. It's never going to end. That's <laughs> all he's going to see for years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He said, he, he said um, for a moment, I stood a little puzzled by this curious request not knowing exactly how to take it, whether humorously or in earnest, but concentrating on his crow's feet in one scowl, Captain Peleg started beyond the errand. Going forward and glancing over the weather bow, I perceived that the ship swinging to anchor with the flood tide was now obliquely pointing towards the open ocean. The prospect was unlimited, but exceedingly monotonous and forbidding, not the slightest variety that I could see. <laughs> so it's not like he's going to go to China and see something different than India and you know, all that. And uh, so, so anyway, um, then they decide to ship him, and they get into the whole thing with the lays. And uh, um, 
you know, he thinks he's going to get 275th lay. And as soon as Captain Bildad hears that, he wants to give him a 777th lay, which is like really small amount. Right. And then, and then Pele comes after Bildad and says, well, that's so cheap. And, and so as they're arguing about it, what does Bildad do? It's funny. He starts. Bildad never heeded us, but when I'm mumbling on him, on, mumbling to himself out of his book, "Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust." <laughs> Some wordplay, and and he's justifying basically ripping Ishmael off, right, for being a cheapskate. Yeah. So so Bildad is the cheapskate, and so I think that was, you know, that that's just a hilarious scene that he's reading. So you know, as as you said before. He read, he read his Bible. Melville really read his Bible. And so so eventually they work it out that that uh, that Ishmael gets 300th lay, which is, is still better than 777. <laughs> so all of you that you know what a lay is, it's just a share in the profits. And so so a- anyway, then he tells uh, Peleg that, that uh, he's got a friend who wants to come with him. And he, he tells them that, well, you know, make them show up tomorrow. And uh, so so anyway, um, then he goes on and he says what uh, Ishmael says. He's, he wants to see Ahab. Where's Ahab? If you're not the captain, where's Ahab? He's, and, he's and, hiding. He's unwell <laughs> for some reason. And he said he's not well. Yeah. And uh, then, then Ishmael makes... The, the biggest mistake of his life, he says. Uh, uh, this is almost like in Conrad with uh, with uh, uh, Kurtz. This is uh, almost at the end of the chapter. He says, "Mark, you be forewarned. Ahab's above the common. Ahab's been in colleges as well as among the cannibals, been used to deeper wonders than the waves. Fixed his fiery lance in mightier, stranger foes than whales. His lance, I the keenest and surest." That of all our isles, oh, he ain't Captain Bildad. No, he ain't Captain Peleg. He's Ahab, boy. And Ahab of old, thou knowest, was a crowned king. And here's what Ishmael says. Yeah, and a very vile one. When that wicked king was slain, the dogs did lick his, did they not lick his blood? <laughs> and he says, come hither to me, hither, hither, said Peleg, with a significance in his eye that almost startled me. Look, you lad, never say that on board the Pequod. Never say it anywhere. Captain Ahab did not name himself. Twas a foolish, ignorant whim of his crazy widowed mother who died when he was only twelve months old. And yet old squad Tistag at Gayhead said that the name would somehow prove prophetic. So so anyway, uh, you know, we're in trouble already. <laughs> That's all the time we have for today's program. So uh on our next program, Grant and I will continue our discussion, and uh, I think we'll be able to slip into chapters 20, 21, and 26. So you can buy Moby Dick at Amazon.com. You may be able to also find a good used copy at abebooks.com. You may be also able to find a copy in your local bookstore. Of course, you can also check your local library. 
So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can also follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. And remember, that's where I have the chapters we're reading listed. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. And again, if you go there, you can find the the, uh, chapters that we're reading listed. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.